0: so have you ever had the experience as a Christian where an older believer, someone maybe that you look up to in the faith, someone mature, um, where an older believer opens up to you a little bit and they, you start realizing through what they're saying or the way they're communicating that they have temptation you ever had that experience. And you just kind of like start realizing like, well, they're still growing and they know they're still growing. They know they haven't arrived. They're still growing. The struggle is there. The battle is there. Have you ever had that experience? There's something about it. Maybe nobody's had that experience because you guys are just kind of looking at me right now. (laughs) Have you ever ever had that experience? Yeah, like, okay. So uh, it's refreshing. That's been my experience. It's refreshing. And I think if we ask ourselves a question, why is that refreshing? I think it's refreshing because sometimes you get the other. You get the opposite side of things. Like last week, we looked in Romans 7, 1 through 6 where Paul taught us a really big truth, that we used to be in a marital kind of like bond and relationship with the law. We were under the law. We had this legal code that we had to keep in relationship with God, and we were married to the law. But then we died, and we were separated from the power of the law, and we were raised with Jesus. So if you're a believer, you died with Jesus, and you were raised with Jesus. Now you're not joined to the law, Paul says, but you're joined to Christ. And now you have like on the level of a marital relationship with Jesus. So we're in, we are truly in a relationship with God, a relationship with Christ. And then Paul said that we're serving God because we still serve God. In, fa- in fact, now we actually can do it successfully. Before when it was by the law, we just failed over and over again. But now we can successfully serve God. He says, by the newness of the Spirit, is what we read last week in verse 6. By the newness of the Spirit and not by the written code. So we're now serving God by the power of the Spirit, the supply of the Spirit, the newness of the Spirit, and not by human effort, by here's a list, I'm going to keep the list. Here's a bunch of requirements, I'm just going to nail the requirements, because every time we try to do that, for some reason, we fail at that. So... Enter in the Spirit working in us and availing ourselves of the Spirit, growing in the Lord. He changes us. He transforms us. It's really good news, the newness of the Spirit. But sometimes, maybe you've had this experience. You don't have to answer this one. But sometimes it seems like you can talk to someone who, when talking about the newness of the Spirit, they get this little like twinkle in their eye and they turn their head sideways and they start talking about like life with the Spirit. And it sounds like they don't ever sin. It just sounds like they're nailing it. The Holy Spirit's so good to them. And like they don't have a struggle at all internally. Like they just always want to sing to God. They always want to pray to God. They always want to share their faith. They always want to read the Bible. They always want to start churches. They always want. Like It's just like, man, that's amazing the spirit is so strong in you you just always want to do these things and the rest of us mere mortals maybe just kind of feel like well i feel like there's a struggle in me there's part of me that really wants that but there's a i sometimes have a difficulty actually going there i have a difficulty actually doing that like a few weeks ago i talked about prayer and You know, if you've been around as a Christian for a while and maybe you've begun to pray a little bit, you've discovered the blessings of praying. We know prayer to be a good and wonderful, beautiful thing. We know it's just from Genesis to Revelation, God's people pray. So we know that. We hear about it. We say yes and amen to prayer, but we also feel this like roadblock to actually going there. What's the roadblock? What's the roadblock? That's what's so nice about when someone's honest about just their walks with the Lord, their growth, things like that. So in this passage, why am I saying all this? In this passage, Paul is going to do that for us. Divinely inspired, he is going to open up his heart, and he's going to explain to us a few things. First of all, he's going to explain to us that the problem inside of us is way too big of a problem to think that we could master with human effort. Because some people would think, well, you know, I could do this. I could live the Christian life, I could make it happen, and you need to be brought to the understanding of how deep of a problem of sin we actually have as human beings. Okay, so that's what Paul's going to do first. And then secondly, he's going to describe his own battle, not to excuse anything at all. You can't imagine Paul doing that, right? He wanted to grow, he wanted to be transformed, he wanted to be a world changer for Jesus, But he was also able to say very clearly, this is actually what it's like. There's the battle between my flesh, the body of sin, and who I I really am in Christ. There is a struggle that exists. And then finally, we're going to close it out with Paul saying, and here's where I find my deliverance. And just like it, when you were a kid, if you grew up in church, and you, they'd ask you a question, and if you weren't paying attention, you'd just say, Jesus! Because uh, usually he's the right answer. That's where we're going to go today. Jesus is the right answer. He, he, Jesus delivers us from the body of sin that we are currently uh, residing in. So that's, that's where we're going to go today. Okay, It all centers around three questions. First question will be found in verse 7. So let's read Paul's question today. Like I said, he'll ask three questions today. The first one's in verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin by no means. Okay, so the first question that is being asked here by Paul is, or really kind of by others, like a hypothetical person out there is, is the law... Sin. Now, why is this question being dropped into Romans 7 right now? Why is the question, is the law bad? Is the law sin? Why is it being dropped in right now? Well, because, like I said, last week we saw we're not married to the law anymore. It no longer has power over us, and we do not live currently by the written code, by the law, but by the newness of the Spirit. So if all that's true, then maybe a natural question would be, well, is the law bad? you know is the law a sinful thing is it a bad thing you know should would it have been better if the law had never come if the righteous requirement had never come would it have been better is the law sin all right so we know where paul's going to go with this he says certainly not let's read the answer in verse 7 he says yet if i had not if it had not been for the law i would not have known sin if it had not been for the law he says I would not have known sin. Now, one thing that the law does is it serves as a revealer of the sin within uh, our hearts. You know, like a couple years ago, I decided uh, I saw these young hipsters trying to uh, do facial hair. And so I decided I'm going to show them. How a real man grows a beard. Okay, so I grew my beard out, and I, you know, I, I love it. I know that you love it. It's wonderful. Okay, all right. So, um, you should, I love going through the airport now. You know, it's like I go through the metal detectors. Everyone's watching me. Who's this guy? But a problem entered in, and it was eating food. is more difficult now. <laughs> And, uh, you know, there are certain foods that you are just kind of a little messy to eat or whatever. You have to be more careful, everything like that. And sometimes I'll be eating, and I think everything's good. And then I get up, I look in the mirror, and I'm like, whoa, everything's not good. There's, there's stuff happening there. What happened to the people in my life, the loving, caring people that are supposed to tell me that, that I have food in my face right now, you know? So, the, you know, that's one operation of the law, right? He's saying, I would not have known sin if it had not been for the law. The law came like a mirror and revealed my error. I saw the perfect righteous standard, and I realized I did not measure up to that. That is one operation of the law. But actually, it isn't the operation of the law that Paul is highlighting right here in Romans 7. It's a totally different operation of the law that Paul wants to highlight. So let's read it even further. He goes on to say, For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. So Paul here, he confesses a very specific sin in his own life that he realized he had a battle with. And I think if we're honest, we'd realize that this is a very common human error and problem, the problem of covetousness. Wanting things that do not belong to us, not being satisfied with what we have, not having contentment, but coveting. Whether it's human coveting, you know, you should not covet your neighbor's wife, or possession coveting, you know, things like that. We're born in that kind of condition. In fact, I came across this this week, I I wrote it down, but it's the... Toddler's Creed. This woman who was the president of uh, Mothers of Preschoolers, she wrote this. you probably heard this before, but I'll read it to you. This is the Toddler's Creed. This is this, These are words a toddler lives by. If I want it, it's mine. If I give it to you and change my mind later, it's mine. If I can take it away from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine... It will never belong to you, no matter what. And if we are building something together, all the pieces are mine. And if it looks just like mine, then it is mine. Okay, That's so true. You just, we're just like born in this kind of way, okay? So that's the one that Paul highlights. He says, I heard the law that you shall not covet, and I realized that I was a, a covetous man. And what what he's mentioning here is not the mirror ministry of the law, but he's mentioning something else. He says, sin, verse 8, seized an opportunity. That's a military phrase. It got a beachhead in my heart. Seized an opportunity through the commandment, and it produced in me all kinds of covetousness. In other words, what he's saying is, the law wasn't just a mirror that showed me my sin. The law, when it came, actually made me more sinful. I heard, don't covet, and all I wanted to do was covet. I heard that law. I hear, like a little child, I hear, don't touch that, and that's all I want to do. That's embedded in the heart of mankind. Now, Jesus actually did the same kind of thing uh, in Luke's gospel. There was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus, And he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's the wrong question. He didn't say, what must I believe? He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus threw a few of the commandments back at him from the Ten Commandments. He gave him a few of the commandments. He said, do these. And the man said, I did all those. I've done all those from my youth. I've done all those. So Jesus saw that he was dealing with a man that had a high estimation Of himself and couldn't see the error in his heart. He couldn't see sin. He just couldn't see it. So Jesus needed to do something to show him his sin. He said, Okay, then take everything that you have, sell it, sell your possessions, and take the proceeds and give it away to the poor. Now, Jesus, when he said that, he wasn't saying, You want to be saved? You want eternal life? Well, to get eternal life, you have to sell everything and give it away. But what he was but, but to get eternal life, you have to realize you're broken. You have to realize you have a huge, massive sin problem within your heart that must be forgiven by God. And apparently this man did not see that. So Jesus told him to do something that he couldn't do because, it says, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He thought he was possessing possessions, but his possessions were possess- possessing him. Okay, He was controlled by the things that he had. And what that was revealing was that he was battling covetousness, just like Paul realized. And so the law came in to Paul, thou shalt not covet, you should not covet, and he begins to hear that at some point in his journey, and he started realizing, I have a problem of sin within. You see, when you look at laws like don't murder you can maybe perhaps say to yourself, or don't have, another, don't have an idol or a false god, you might be able to say to yourself, externally, I've kept those. I never had a graven image. I never took a person's life. But when Paul heard, don't covet, he looked inside his heart at one point, and the Spirit gave him enough understanding to know, I'm guilty. I'm a lawbreaker. There's a thing inside me that's done this. And not only has Have I done this? But just hearing it makes me want to do it more. Just hearing, that's not yours. I want to say, I want it though for myself. He discovered this law inside of himself, this longing and wanting to give in uh, to a life of sin. So the law serves as a mirror, but it also serves as a, as a way to awaken the sin inside. Here's how it works in verse 9. He talks about it. He just lays it out. He says, I was once alive apart from the law. I once was good. You know, I thought everything was fine. I didn't need any help. I was saving myself. I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, when I really got it and I understood, he says, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. Me. So Paul here basically announces, he says, you know, sin was just, it was there in me. It was operating within me, but it's like it was lying dormant within me. Like a snake lying out in a hot road, just totally basking in the sun, seemingly still and almost looking dead. The law came in and provoked it and it woke up and it was aroused inside of me. And once I heard that I could not, I was not to covet my neighbor's wife, I started realizing, he's saying, this thing was strong inside of me. And it was producing actually more sin. So the, the sin was there, but the law came and it produced more sin within me. It awoke it inside of my heart and inside of my life. So he says in verse 12, the law is holy. Remember the question is the law bad? Is the law sin? He says, no, the law is holy. And the commandment, verse 12, is holy and righteous and good. So he's saying, the law is fine. It's me that's the problem. You see, this is really important. Because the answer to the question of how can I grow, the answer is never self effort, the answer is through the power of Jesus. But you won't turn to Jesus until you say, like Paul will say, wretched man that I am. And you won't say wretched man that I am if you have a low view of sin and your own sinfulness. So Paul is helping us understand it's there. It's a beast inside of us. And it's good for us to understand that. You remember a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Benson was teaching. He shared a bunch of stories from the life of Jesus but the one that he focused on the most happened in the house of a man named Simon a Pharisee who was very self assured he had a very low view of the sin problem within but he had a very high view of the sin problem of a woman who he called it was she was referred to as a sinful woman she came into the house she was weeping she was wiping Jesus's feet with her hair she's worshiping him and uh Simon talks to himself about this. Surely, if he knew who it was who was touching his feet, he would not allow this to happen. This is a sinful woman. Jesus told a parable to him, but then he bottom-lined it for Simon, and he said, He who is forgiven little loves little, but he who is forgiven much loves much. And he looked at the woman and said, Woman, your sins are forgiven you. The reason that she was loving so much, the reason that she was so desperate for the Lord and clinging to him was because she had a a big view of her sin. She knew, like, I need the Lord. He has saved me. I have a problem within. And he's willing to touch it, forgive it, cleanse me, deal with me. This is incredible. But Simon, who had a low view of the battle within, a low view of sin, he just sat back with no need for the Lord didn't kiss the lord didn't greet the lord didn't anoint the lord he didn't do any of those common eastern things when jesus came into his home because he had a very low view of the sin within it is important for us to come to a place where we realize that sin that the world is under sin that sin is a beast within that can suffocate our lives and our fruit. We must understand that. When Christians don't get this, we don't press into the Lord. We take sin very lightly. We get ourselves into trouble. And usually we enter into being enslaved by some appetite or habit or whatever. We're just lulled to sleep by sin. So we got to have a big view in a sense of it. So in like one sense, it's kind of like Paul is saying, you got to like kind of get to know your sin. All right, so praise the Lord. Okay, (laughs) that's a very happy point to make, okay? So let's go on to the next thing that Paul says. It gets better, okay, but this is where we're going. He says in verse 13, second question, second question. He says, did that which is good then bring death to me? Did that which is good then bring death to me? So the law is good, he said. So did the good law bring death to me? kind of the what the question is is hey like i was fine until the law came i was fine until the righteous requirement came so actually you know this is kind of the age old thing it's not my fault it's god's fault kind of thing like i was good and then god gave the law he gave the righteous requirement he said what the standard was and then sin came in and it was aroused and i was awakened to it had the law never come i would have been fine so is this good law, is it, did it, is, it, is it its fault, did it bring death uh, in me? What is the origin of this death inside of me? Is it the law? He says, by no means. It wasn't the law. He says this in verse 13. Here's where we're going. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, and I am sold under sin. So what Paul says here is, look, sin came in, it just became sinful, and then exceedingly sinful beyond measure. The law is actually spiritual, verse 14, but I'm fleshy. I'm fleshy. I'm sold under sin. So what's Paul going to talk about now? Here's what Paul's going to do. He's going to talk about and introduce us to the concept that there is a battle in the heart of every believer. Remember that thing I asked you about? Like, do you ever, you know, like, I want to pray. That's a good thing. But I find a struggle to do it. You know, or a few weeks ago, like, we had a night of worship at the church, you know, on a Wednesday night. It was great. A lot of of people came. We had a great time of just prayer, seeking the Lord, worshiping. And, but, you know, it's like for a lot of us, we've been uh, awakened to that kind of environment and time. We're like, oh, it's good. It's good to pray. It's good to sing to the Lord, worship him, kind of get uh, things off my chest before him, cast my burdens before the Lord. It's good. But have you ever noticed that even though you know, like, that kind of thing's good, there's still a struggle to actually get there, isn't there? There's still a struggle to get there. And especially that night, because the Warriors were playing that night. Uh, so it's so a little bit of a struggle uh, for us to get there. I was, I was glad I was a pastor that night, because it just made the decision easy. Like, everybody's going to know if I don't come, so I better go. So, you know, but there's that, there's that battle. Like, I know this is good, but still, there's something about picking up my keys and, like, going. I, I know there's something beautiful about, like, an act of generosity when I see someone who's in need... And I just like bless them and I care for them. Like, I know that. I know it feels way better to buy, you know, a bunch of groceries for someone than it does to buy a new pair of shoes for myself. I know that. I know that. However, it's hard to do it. It's hard to do it. What is that? So Paul's introducing us now to the battle between who we really are in Christ and this thing called the flesh or the body of sin, this body that has sinful appetites and desires Uh, within it. All right, so that's where we're going to go from verse 15 to 23. Before I read these verses, we're going to touch them lightly. I should mention that uh, there are believers, good people, who believe that verse 15 to 23 is not descriptive of a Christian's battle, but that what Paul is describing is his battle before he became a Christian. And some of the reasons that people might think that is because Paul's going to say things like, the things I want to do, I don't do. And it's kind of hard to imagine a guy like Paul the Apostle, who was so sanctified, so incredible, did so many things for God, was so obedient to God. It's hard to imagine that he had this level of struggle inside of his own heart. Uh, And then maybe another reason is because some of the early, early Christians, the early church fathers, not in the Bible times, but past that the first couple hundred years, some of them believed that Paul was talking about a struggle before he came to Christ. The reason that I'm with those that believe that Paul is actually talking about his current experience as a Christian are, there's a few. One is just the flow of Romans. If you notice, Paul talked about our unbelieving state in Romans 1, 2, and 3. And then he talked about a righteousness apart from the law appearing by faith. And he starts talking then about the Christian life. I think he's done talking about the past tense life. He's talking about the now life with Jesus. He's already talked about the past life. Also, just the language, the words that he uses. A lot of personal pronouns, I this, I that. And it's all present tense. I am currently dealing with is the way that it reads. Also, in other places like Galatians 5 and 6, Paul made it clear there is a battle in a Christian between the flesh and the spirit. You walk in the spirit, you'll of the spirit reap everlasting life. You walk in the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. So there is a battle. Paul talked about it in other places. Uh, And then finally, uh, his conclusion, like the last thing he's going to say today, the final verse of chapter 7, it sounds like a landing point. Like I have now discovered with the, with my mind or with the internal part of me that like loves God, I serve him. But with my body of sin, my flesh, I rebel against him. So it sounds like a present, current battle uh, that's going on. So I'll let you be the judge, but that's the way I'm going to teach it. And uh, I think probably most people uh, in our like modern environment, uh, as, as far as within the body of Christ, believe that to be so. But I just wanted to say that because there's some good people that don't think that that's what Paul is actually saying or teaching, but I think that he's talking about the battle between the flesh and our true redeemed self. So let's read it together. Verse fifteen: For I do not understand my own actions. You ever been there? (laughs) I don't even understand why I'm doing this. I don't know why I'm doing this. I know it's wrong. You ever like said to yourself, like you know, I'm going to go. I'm going to be with my family. There's a family gathering, function, whatever. And, you know, uh, there's, like, one person in my family, they just know how to push my buttons, get under my skin, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I'm not going to do it this time. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to be strong, you know. And you go, and as like the words are coming out of your mouth, and you're being, like, just kind of mean. And it's like you're doing it again, and you're thinking... I don't even get this. I don't even get why I'm doing this. Why am I doing this? Why is this happening? This isn't wise. This isn't helpful. I'm just getting myself into trouble right now, making everything worse. Paul says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. In other words, we so often self-sabotage. We do the very things that we hate doing. We don't do the things that, that we want to do so often. Like I've been saying, there are just so many elements uh, to this. You know, you, 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 you do. You say, it's just such a blessing to be, to be generous. I know, I know what it's like. And you give somebody, maybe anonymously, you know, you hook them up or whatever. Someone who's in need, you do that. And then you're like, that was so great. I just feel so glad, so fulfilled. It just felt so right. But it's so hard to enter into that. So hard. Why, why don't I do that? Why don't I do the things that I want, but I do the things that I hate? Why don't I do that? You know, it's such a good feeling. Like I, I love it when like we have dinner and I like, I ate like an appropriate, uh, you know, a, a, a amount of food and as like good and everything. And then like, you know, the night goes on and I'm like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hang out with my buddies, Ben and Jerry. Like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to resist I'm gonna stand strong. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna overeat, I'm not gonna do that, and then like go to sleep, wake up in the morning, and it's like, oh, I feel good. I feel good, this is great. Why don't I take that great feeling, bottle it up, and just every single time I'm like, that's that's the way I need to roll. It's so good. It feels so good. Why don't I do that? Paul says, This is what's happening inside me. The things I I, I don't do what I want, I do the very thing that I hate. We so often self-sabotage. Then he goes on, verse 16. This really explains it. He says, now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. It's not the law's fault. It's sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. In that little paragraph, two times, Paul said, It's no longer I who do it, but it is sin that dwells within me. Now, when Paul says that, we have to understand he's not giving himself or us any kind of excuse. In other words, like, like, you do get together with your family. And you say, like, I'm not going to, I'm going to be nice, you know, or whatever. And then you're not nice. You don't then say, like, hey, you know, I hope you understand. It's actually not me. It's just sin that's dwelling inside me. So feel better about it. Like, I'm being kind of nasty, but it's not really me. It's just sin that dwells in me. Paul isn't giving us an excuse, but he is giving us a diagnosis. This diagnosis is really important. This diagnosis is important for the way a local church runs and functions and the stuff that they emphasize. Because if a local church doesn't understand this diagnosis, then they're just going to give Christians lists of things to do. Thinking, you could do it, go do it. But the diagnosis is, no, there's... There's the real me. There's the part of me, the real me, the true me that's been born again. There's the real me, the true me that is a new creature in Christ Jesus. There's the real me and the true me that his life or her life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3. There's the real me, there's the true me that Romans 6 is dead to sin and alive to God. There's the real me, the true me, that has died with Jesus, been buried with Jesus, and has risen from the grave with Jesus. That's the real me. That's the true me. And then, coupled together with the true me, it's no longer I, Paul says, but it is sin that dwells in me. There's the true me, and then there is my flesh. It's my body. It's me. But it's the flesh. It's the flesh. It's the body of sin. And it knows what sin is like. It's been tempted before. It's experienced sin. It likes sin. It longs for sin. It wants to be lazy. It wants to, uh, you know, just cruise. It wants to enter into sin and rebellion. That's what it wants. And to understand this diagnosis is so important because if if we get that, there's the true me, but then there's the flesh part of me. If I understand that, then I'll take the appropriate prescription. So Paul announces here, he says, look, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. In other words, maybe another way to think about this, remember Jesus told the parable of the prodigals, the prodigal's son. And the prodigal, when he left, he eventually came to a place where he was in the pig pen, and he's eating the slop, or longing at least for the slop that the pigs were going to eat. And he knew there's some, I got to get out of here. This is not me. This is not truly who I am. I'm different. I have a father. I need to return to him. The pigs, they like it in the pig pen. But the prodigal says, that's not me. I'm out. That's not me. There's something more to me. All right, so that's what part of what Paul's saying, maybe a way to illustrate what Paul is saying. So he's diagnosing. It's not no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. So, here's his conclusion to this part, verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I love God. I love God's law, even. I, I want to I be what God's law describes. I love it in my inner being, the true me, the redeemed me. I love the law of God, but, verse 23, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So it's like there are these two laws at war within me. The part of me that loves the law of God and wants to please God, and the part of me that wants to sin and wants to rebel uh, against the Lord. So this helps us understand, like, the battle that we're in. This struggle is very real and very practical. I think we probably experience this, you know, constantly in our own lives. My family and I, you know, we, um, a lot of you know this, but I think it's been maybe seven or eight years or so that we've in the summer, kind of at the end of the summer, after Life Church quarter is over with, we go up to Lake Tahoe. We get a house up there, and for like a couple of weeks, we just lay low. And we go to the beach, and we play and stuff. It's great. I like being able to uh, stop thinking. I, I like to be able to stop thinking about uh, and studying you know, hard and stuff like that, reading other books, things like that. It's just a refreshing time. But I remember when we first started going up there, and... I remember thinking to myself, you know, I need to sleep. I need to sleep. I need to catch up on a year's worth of not getting enough sleep. So I'm going to sleep, and I'm going to rest, and every morning I'm going to sleep in, you know. For me, just my own walk with the Lord, the morning time is really important with him. To open up his word, to pray, to get my day started out with the Lord, really important. And I remember thinking, like, this is a long little time that I'm going to have away. I think I'm just going to, you know, in the morning, just going to chill. I'm going to sleep. And after a few days, that first time, I realized that Cranky Nate was coming out and that I was starting to ruin everybody else's vacation. Okay. Not just my own, but everybody else's time away. And I started realizing oh, I have to go on vacation with Jesus too. There's no taking a break. Because the body of sin within me is very real and strong. That law exists. So I've got to feed the spirit so that I can suppress the body of sin with its desires. And, you know, as you age and go through different seasons of life, that body of sin expresses itself in a lot of different ways. You know, you get to a certain point, maybe some of the struggles you had when you were a younger man, you're like, oh, you know, it's not as strong as it used to be. I've gotten some victory. And you're like, man, I'm doing pretty good. I feel super sanctified. And then, like, your knee starts going out or something like that. And you start realizing, like, I'm so angry about this pain. I can't even deal with this pain. And all this stuff just starts unearthing, like, oh, your body of sin, it's still there. you got to press into the Lord constantly. And so Paul is announcing, I've found that this law exists within me. So, Uh, he's saying, this is how big the problem is, and this is the battle within, all right? So that's like a bummer message at this point. So amen, let's close our Bibles. We'll just be done. (laughs) If we'd stop right now, it'd just be like, oh, okay, it's just a failure, always. (laughs) Okay, but there's more. And so this is the last thing. This is what Paul says in verse 24. Wretched man that I am. Again, if, if you don't say that, if you, if, you can't, if you don't get to that point, you won't say what comes next. Okay? So This is Paul. He's a wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who's going to deliver me? Is there any deliverance? Now, he asks the right question. In your Bibles, if you're an underliner kind of person, you should underline or circle the word who. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Because, and here's why, as long as a Christian is asking, what will deliver me from this body of death? Then if you ask that question, you're still thinking that you can self-perfect. You're still thinking that a program, you know, a system, a book, a bunch of steps, you're still thinking that that can perfect you. What will perfect me? What will grow me? What will deliver me? But once you get to the wretched man that I am, you start saying who. A drowning person is looking for a who. Not steps to take, but a who to pull them out. That's what Paul does. He says, who? Who's going to deliver me? And of course, like I said earlier, in children's ministry, you know the answer. It's Jesus. Jesus. I thank God, he says, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when you became a believer, born again, Jesus delivered you. And really here what he's talking about is someday when we meet the Lord face to face, he will be the one who fully delivers us from the body of death. In other words, when I'm in heaven, you know, some of you might have been a little worried, like, man, Nate, you're talking about yourself on vacation. Like, I don't know if I want to go to heaven with you. (laughs) I don't know if I want to be on a long extended moment with you, you know, kind of thing. But the, the deal is in that place, I will have no more body of sin, and neither will you if you're a Christian. We'll be born again. We're born again. We're we're in his presence. No more body of sin. We'll be perfected, glorified in his sight. And as we are cruising around in heaven in total sinless perfection without the ability to even sin or go there, we will not be walking around with other people saying, Well, how'd that happen? And we won't be saying, Well, you know, I just I got these ten um, steps. And I just kept doing them over and over again. Pretty soon I was changed. I was better. We will say Jesus Christ delivered me. There was like a moment. It was like in a, in a twinkling of an eye. Like I, I was at one moment I was on earth and I died and now I'm here and the judgment happened. I got my new body and I can't sin. Who did that for you? Jesus did that for me. Okay? So Jesus does it. Then what Paul's saying though is Jesus does it then and he does it now. He does it now. He does it now. We grow with Jesus. By Jesus, a relationship with Jesus. Abide in me, I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Okay? So we got to experience Jesus. We got to open up our hearts to Jesus, walk with Jesus, let him by his spirit change us and transform tr- transform us. And that's what we're going to see here. Uh, As we go through uh, Romans chapter 8. So, you know, this one. Okay, so you just think about this. If it's through Jesus that my deliverance comes. You know, he does the work in my life. He sanctifies me. He grows me. Aren't there things that I will do that could be, if I was trying to self-perfect, would also be the things I would do. It's just the heart behind it is so different. So for instance, I want Jesus to grow me, so I like to read his word. I'm not saying it's not a battle, the body of sin is still there. There's times where it's like, ah, oh, you know, it's just easier to read the news than it is to read my Bible. You know, it's easier. That's there. That's real. But I could try to read the Bible to, to like I'm going to self improve. I'm going to prove myself to God. I'm going to change myself. Or I could do the very same thing but with a totally different motivation. I want to be there with Jesus. I want him to grow me. I want him to change me and transform me speaking to my heart, speaking to my life. I'm going to pray not like a legalist because I got to log my time, do what's right, but because you know, I want to be changed. I want to be transformed. My father gave me this incredible gift of being able to cry out to him. I'm not saying it's not going to be a battle to enter into it. It will be. There's the law of sin within me. But only the Lord can do this in my life. Just kind of changes things about the motivation behind the stuff that we do. So here's how Paul concluded the last little phrase of verse 25. Let's read it together. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And Paul isn't saying, like, I just have this crazy divided life, you know, like as a Jekyll and Hyde, at night I'm like this, and during the day I'm like this. He's not saying that. That's not Paul. He's just pursuing his sanctification like nothing else. I mean, that's what Paul's life was like. He's just saying, that's the battle that's there. I'm trying to serve the Lord, but there is a flesh that is very real. So, why can't we just self-improve? Why do we need the spirit that we're going to learn about in Romans 8? Well, because the sin problem is massive, and the sin problem, is, it's different now than it used to be before we were in Christ, but it still is strong. It's a different kind of thing, but it's still strong. It's a, that law within us. So we can't self-improve. Uh, so who will deliver us? Well, Jesus. We turn to Jesus. All right? So, amen? amen. Okay. So we turn to Christ. Lord, we just come to you uh, this morning. We thank you because... You really have made this into a relationship with Christ. And we want this, Lord. We want this. We don't want to ever use a passage like this to excuse anything in our lives with you. We want to grow into the image of Jesus Christ. But we ask, Lord, and pray that you would develop us and transform us and that you would deepen us in our personal Lord walk with you maybe even right now you just say that to the Lord thank him for just the plain straightforward truth of learning inner workings of your own heart and Lord as we've looked and seen as to why there's a battle it just makes us want you Lord even more just seeing that we can't do this by ourselves. So Lord, we turn to you this morning. We trust you. We pray that you would grow us and transform us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.